0: You're listening to What The History, a podcast where two nerds talk about some awesome, crazy, random stuff you probably don't remember learning about, but you're going to now. Hey, nerds. Welcome back to another episode of What The History. This is Casey and Sarah coming at you from Atlanta and Ewing, New Jersey. Atlanta's not in New Jersey. I should have said (laughs) Atlanta, Georgia, and then Ewing, New Jersey. It's fine. But, It's been a weird morning for me, so um, I'm really excited to just, like, get right into this topic because we're actually going to be talking about something that I teach, but for, like, the first time ever, I don't have to teach it, which is sort of (laughs) exciting. So Sarah is going to take over like she did for the Fairy Tales episode, which was bomb as hell. So we're going to talk today about the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, which is the quote-unquote spark That ignites the first world war. So I'm going to hand it on over to Sarah. And we're going to learn some shit today.
1: Yes. And I did the main research on this. And pretty much all I knew before I started it was that this man was killed. And that's allegedly what started World War One. That is basically all I could have told you. So I've told Casey to jump in at any point and be like, that's wrong or what you're saying makes no sense because sometimes I'm just winging it here. I have my
0: teacher rubric, so like you're good.
1: Yeah, we decided (laughs) she's going to grade me at the end and see how I did in my research.
0: Yes, agreed. I think it's a fun new segment to add. Yes, let's grade Sarah. No pressure.
1: (laughs) But I figured we would start out and just talk about who Franz Ferdinand was because I genuinely like I knew he was an archduke. But that's about it. He is not just a Scottish rock band I've written because all I could think about was the band Franz Ferdinand.
0: Um, What? There's a band? I'm Googling They were
1: like super popular, and I want to say when I was in like middle school, like kind of an alt rocky type band called Franz Ferdinand.
0: Oh, yeah. Look at that. Yeah. I can't. That's weird. i had
1: a couple like popular songs I can't remember the name of, but yeah. So (laughs) that's always my first thought. So, not just a Scottish rock band. This man's name was actually archduke franz ferdinand carl ludwig joseph maria of austria
0: wow that's his full name could you imagine if we had names that long like every person in society That'd be
1: great i like that they, would be like they threw Maria. i feel like in i there. have
0: something similar yeah i have something similar with my like catholic confirmation name which i don't like yeah about <laughs> sorry mom if you're listening i know you're not <laughs> um (laughs) no one in my family has listened but it's fine it's fine um my catholic name is mary because i always liked the virgin mary because i thought she was pretty badass i thought she did a lot in like her young years and i was like that seems like a cool name to add so i technically have like four names okay so why was it marie it probably was his mother his mother was
1: maria but i just had never seen them throw a woman's name in like that you see, the... I could see that yeah, because he
0: was royalty.
1: That's true. You see the reverse a lot, but not that. So I kind of like
0: Right, totally.
1: But so he was born in December of 1863 in Austria, and his parents were Archduke Karl Ludwig of Austria, and then Karl's second wife, Princess Maria Annunziata of Bourbon to Sicilies. That is this woman's name.
0: Bourbon to Sicilies? Bourbon to... Like the number two? Yeah, T W O. Oh. Okay. That's weird. Yeah. That's interesting.
1: Yeah. I, I don't, I didn't even click it. I was like, I don't have the brain space to figure out what this means. <laughs> but so he's raised- I'm trying to
0: figure it out, but I've never heard of that. So yeah. I can't even like come up with some like lie. <laughs> right.
1: So he's born into royalty. He has a cousin who dies when he's about 12, who actually leaves him a bunch of his wealth. So he's very rich from a young age. And then in 1889, his cousin, Crown Prince Rudolf, dies by suicide. So Ooh. this is the current heir to the throne or to the, to the empire, I guess you call it. Mm-hmm. They said both interchangeably a lot, but the empire. And that left Karl Ludwig, his father, as the next in line.
0: Okay. Okay. Gotcha. So, so
1: currently the way it is in 1889 is there's an emperor... That's like currently ruling. The mm-hmm. next person in line is Carl Ludwig, and then Franz is his oldest son.
0: Okay, got it. But
1: then in nineteen ninety-six, Carl Ludwig dies of typhoid fever.
0: And so that Wait in nineteen ninety six No, nope,
1: eighteen ninety
0: six. Eighteen ninety six. I, I just saw that. Yeah. I literally just saw that bullet point and yeah, I was like, I just fixed it. Hold on. That's fine.
1: Yeah. We're no in eighteen. 18- <laughs> I did the
0: same thing in something earlier. I was yeah. like, nineteen eighty two, and I was like, Nope, that's different. Yeah. <laughs>
1: 1896, Carl yes. dies, leaving France as the heir presumptive to the empire. Okay. So he's raised basically being groomed for the throne. They know he's close in line, and so he's raised that way. But right. he is able to travel a lot in his young life because he's not currently ruling. So he at one point, like, circumnavigates the globe he goes all over the place. Mm. Um, the shitty part is that most of his travel was for trophy hunting. He did oh. a lot of trophy hunting. There's, like, documents from the time that say it was excessive even by the standards of European nobility. Wow. And so he has a journal where he tracked all of his kills, and there's over 300,000 listed in that Gross. journal.
0: He had, of, like, like, of animals. What kind of animals? Um,
1: so the only specific one I saw was, like, a bunch of deer. Mm. But he also had, um he had, like, trophies basically like stuffed animals and antlers and things like that in the like hundreds of thousands as well
0: at like what point does it become excessive to the point where like what are you going to do with all of it yeah i like doesn't every deer look the same
1: (laughs) you would think but he straight up like kept it all somewhere there was a thing about like one of his you know castles um was just full of old stuff and dead animals basically
0: I'm, like, having some serious, like, Gaston vibes where he, like, yes. uses antlers and all of his decorating.
1: Well, I just had a moment That's where I was, happening like, for me. I was like, oh, so you just walked up and shot things, too. Cool. But yeah. we'll what get to the it. the hell? Oh, my God. Um, the it, irony
0: of his death. Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
1: But in the midst of all this, he also joined the Austro-Hungarian army fairly young, which was common at the time. So by the time he was 14, he was a lieutenant and he worked his way up from there to a major general by the time he was 31 and wow and was able to lead a troop and he had a lot of power over the military because he was the future emperor right so he was sort of right. known as that and he was able to to gain some control in that area right now in 1894 he began courting countess sophie chotek And she was not a member of any sort of reigning European family. So she was basically not eligible to marry him. She didn't have Mm. the stature or whatever. Um, But he is not having that. He says he's not going to marry anyone but Sophie. He'll never Mm. marry otherwise. And he finally cuts a deal with his uncle, the emperor, that he can marry Sophie, but it's to be something called a morganatic marriage, which I had never heard of before
0: i saw this word come up and i googled it because i was like and and i've read history and i'm like what is this i had no idea what this is this is so cool it's
1: interesting so it's a marriage between two people of like very different social ranks typically the man Mm -hmm. holds a title and the woman doesn't
0: and it's patriarchy exactly
1: (laughs) and so they get married but you basically don't have any of the legal rights that come with marriage so the wife in this case sophie could marry him, but she could not have any of his property, his titles, rights to his money, none of that. So they were allowed to be wow. married in basically name, but not legality. Right. And it also meant part of the deal for them was that his children could not be considered heirs.
0: Which is like kind of absurd because yes. like what what else do you do?
1: Right. It's stupid, and so they do get married. Though they like accept this condition, they get married in 1890, and she actually is called the Princess of of Hohenberg, Hohenberg, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and ultimately does become a Duchess. So she has some title; it's just not c- congruent to his. Okay, um, and even though once she was a Duchess and all that, she yielded to all the family members in court. And when there was events where the Imperial family sat together, she was not able to sit with them. Um, so she was like ceremonially kept very separate and it was always kind of made clear that you're not on par here.
0: That's crazy. Yeah, that's a huge sacrifice too. Like you have yeah. to really love someone to know that you're gonna spend like literally the rest of your life being looked down upon by right. every single person, not just in his family, but like ever in the country. Yeah. Yeah. Like people know that like you're not quote unquote as good. Right exactly yeah they
1: do have four children so they have a daughter named sophie two sons named maximilian and ernst and they have a stillborn son who is unnamed in all records
0: okay um sophie again we got them yeah, like, renaming but we her. don't have yeah. the
1: friends which is interesting
0: I know that's that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Or any of his names? No, it's it was.
1: No, no, none of those are.
0: Carl Ludwig Joseph. Yeah, no, yeah. he didn't like use any of his seventeen thousand mm-hmm. names for any of his children.
1: Yeah, and it's possible the stillborn son could have been named after him, but that was the last born as well, so they would have right. waited a while to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: In terms of his personality, um, I found a nice quote that described him as a man of uninspired energy dark in appearance and emotion, who radiated an aura of strangeness and cast a shadow of violence and recklessness. A true personality amidst the amiable inanity that characterized Austrian society at this time. So he's weird is basically what they're saying.
0: I was just gonna say, like, so basically that's just a really long way of saying he's a weird dude. Exactly.
1: I also saw him described as cold, sharp-tongued and short-tempered. So just like not that pleasant to be around is what it sounds like. Right. There was also a lot of rumors that he was um inbred, basically, which was oh. not uncommon at the time. Right. And yeah. because of that, some people questioned his sanity at different points. Um, if he said something that wasn't really popular opinion, people would be like, Well, you know that like inbred Franz Ferdinand, he's crazy.
0: Oh damn. Yeah. That's nuts.
1: Yeah. So like he didn't seem. Imagine super... knowing
0: that dude's going to be your future emperor, too. Right.
1: He didn't seem. Like, kind of like a popular.
0: serial killer vibes yeah. in the corner. You know what I mean? Yeah. He didn't yeah. seem super
1: popular. He's the Prince Charles of the time.
0: But oh, for sure. It's incredible how little personality that man has. Oh, fuck that man.
1: That's a whole In like other
0: the story. grossest way. Fuck we that can- man. I can't wait to do this series on that yes. one day. It's going to be great.
1: Um, politically, I'll get into this a bit more, but Franz Ferdinand was mostly known for being a very conservative Catholic so very into the church um Mm -hmm. and centering the dynasty so he very much thought that like his empire was the center of the world
0: yeah because i'm gonna i can't believe i'm even questioning this like that i i'm pretty sure that this is right but there's just so much european history with this because the austrian hungarian empire is technically i think the holy roman emperor empire holy i'm gonna look this up holy roman empire um so i think this is like the final leg of the holy roman empire because it was technically like the Habsburgs. right and yeah I'm, it is I, I my students if anyone's listening i don't know why you're listening but thanks for listening and also i do know this information it's just been a really weird year and i i feel like i don't remember everything that i probably should but yeah so they're like super super catholic yeah And so he
1: falls into that. um, Just, you know, you mentioned the Holy Roman Emperor. For some context on how much I did not know here, I sent my best friend to Marco Polo. And I was like, I don't know what Serbia is. Does it still exist? What continent is it on? Is it a country? (laughs) Like, that's where we're starting here. So Mm -hmm. fill in some gaps. And then we got into, I looked at a map of the globe to see if I could tell where any countries that weren't like North America were.
0: So. well that's what's kind of interesting and that's i think the thing i've always found fascinating about the way world war one starts is like you're 100 percent not the only person that would be like where the hell is serbia right. like it's not it's such i don't and i don't want to say inconsequential in case i have any serbian listeners or just like calling any country inconsequential right. but it clearly is, it consequential really is. At yeah time. and yet you see this huge thing that happens and like for the rest of the world, it's not inconsequential. But, like, if you look at it by today's standards, it's like you literally don't know anything about it. Right. So I just think it's kind of interesting how that sort of shifts over time.
1: Yeah. It's also just very gross American that I'm like, Um, I think I could find Italy because it looks like a boot. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's just some American You should problem. see.
0: I actually once had a kid. I'm not kidding when I say this. She, like, almost fought me about claiming that Germany was part of Asia and I was like okay well do you mean like Eurasia like it's like it's one landmass so you're right you could say that all of Europe is also part of Asia if you just call it Eurasia and she's like no she's like it's part of Asia because they were allied with Japan in World War II no and I was like how do you know that they were allied in World War II, but you actually believe that Germany is an Asian country. It was just, like, mind-boggling. Though
1: I will. I did a whole thing in undergrad that I still argue about, that, like, Europe's not even a continent. It's part of another continent, and white people were like, actually, this is our continent now.
0: Mm -hmm. But
1: not. But there's too many, like,
0: quote, achievements, quote, for them to, like, not be their own continent. Right, like, That's a whole other episode. But (laughs) but literally, if
1: you looked at a map, like, it doesn't look. Like a separate continent.
0: No, it's because it's not if you're going by the definition of a physical continent. Right. But anyway. But yes, we digress. Yes. <laughs> um.
1: The point being on France, all that background is to say that in 1914, him and Sophie are assassinated. Um. And that's not a spoiler. We already told you it was the assassination of France It's the title
0: of the episode. Yeah.
1: Surprise. <laughs> he and his wife. I actually didn't know his wife was also assassinated. Mm-hmm. Um. But they both were. And from there, I'm going to kind of go backwards and talk a little bit about the political background of the time that he was living in. So he's over there living his, like, bougie Archduke life. <laughs> um, But just for some basic background. So I have literally Serbia, a thing I definitely knew anything about before today, <laughs> had been basically given to Austro-Hungary as part of a treaty in 1878. So... The Ottoman Empire retained official like rule of Serbia, but it was under some sort of control of Austro-Hungary, Austro-Hungary based on this treaty. Um, at the time, it made Serbia a fully sovereign state and it eventually became a kingdom. So the rulers were happy to maintain these close relationships and work within the borders that were laid out in that Treaty of Berlin and worked well with Austro-Hungary and were kind of just like going about their life being this like territory state kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but then in 1903, Serbian military officials led a little uprising. So they mm-hmm. stormed the palace. They captured the head of the palace guard and made him reveal where the king was hiding. So the king and queen come out of their hiding place and are shot 20 and 18 times respectively.
0: Oh my God. They're
1: then stripped of all their clothing and s- basically stabbed and sliced repeatedly. I think sabered was the word used. Um, Ooh. and they then throw the bodies out the window as a sign to loyalists, right? So they're using it as like oh a, a threat. Um, so then they just installed a new king. They were like, this person's not king and queen anymore. Here's our new one. So like a really violent kind of little uprising there.
0: It was like a coup, but like right. a super violent one. Yeah, a super
1: violent one. Not, not good. And this new monarchy that they install is a lot more nationalist. So they're a lot more into like Serbia power. And they're much more friendly with Russia than they are with Austro-Hungary. So Mm -hmm. that starts to lead to a lot of just fights and tension between them and the people who technically rule their little area. Um, And one of the big fights that happens is Austro-Hungary annexes an area called called Mm -hmm. Bosnia-Herzegovina. And that particular fight causes a lot of ripple effects. It leads to a huge uptick in Serbian nationalism including a, a slew of failed assassination attempts against a bunch of random Austro-Hungarian officials. So they're not happy with this. They, Serbian nationalists basically felt that they should still have rights to the land and didn't feel that the annexation was fair. So yep. there is a local movement called Young Bosnia, and it was mm-hmm. basically a revolutionary organization, and their goal was to end the rule of Austro-Hungary. So all of that is sort of happening back and forth at this time. And as inspector general of the army, Franz was asked to go to Sarajevo, which was um, the capital of the Bosnia-Herzegovina area. So he's sent over to sort of the center of this. Um, And he's supposed to do a couple things. So he's supposed to be inspecting the imperial armed forces that are currently in the area. And he's also planning to do a ceremonial opening of a museum while he's there. Sophie comes with him out of fear for his safety. Which, honestly, I think is weird because I'm like, if I think I don't know what's she gonna do about it, right? <laughs> I don't. Like, he's going to see the whole army. What's she gonna do? But anyway, she's right. she's working right. for him. Actually,
0: you know what it was? I feel like I sh- I actually remember this. It was like a honeymoon for them. I like think a very this was... late honeymoon. Yeah, and it was okay. like they were celebrating. their like they were just going on like a vacation as a couple, and like he was like, yeah, I'll go deal with this like bullshit okay. that's happening here yeah i remember reading so something that part like of it that too yeah exactly and they also i think they genuinely really loved each other they i mean did. again you were making major sacrifices for your life and your family like just your yeah. children knowing you're birthing children that are not gonna have the same kind of respect that like their cousins will or whatever yeah like yeah they absolutely they
1: were very in love yeah
0: were very much in love. So yeah, I think this was just like a couple's retreat, which I think rem- I remember reading, and I was like, "This is really sad." Right. Not that he was like a super great guy, but like that's pretty terrible. Right.
1: And so as he goes there, sort of his position on this is he is not really a fan of Serbians. He has called them quote pigs, thieves, scoundrels, and murderers. Mm-hmm. Um. So he's not a, a Serbian <laughs> lover. But he was still against the annexation because he felt that it was going to make the tension with Russia worse. So even though he didn't necessarily care about the people, this wasn't something he politically supported. His actual goal was kind of increased federalism and something they called trialism. And it was basically reorganizing the Austro-Hungarian Empire creating three equal crowns so there would be like the germans the slavs and the the Magyars. that's a word apparently Mag-
0: yeah mogwise um, very different there's an r the mogwise are those like little things uh, from i think gremlins right
1: yeah so they're gonna have equal rule <laughs> the gremlins are gonna be one third of this crown <laughs> um but that was one of the things where people were literally like this man is crazy and inbred and like doesn't know what he's talking about Mm -hmm. Um, and the same thing he had suggested actually forming a United States of greater Austria with 16 independent States kind of coming together. And so Mm -hmm. that was very much his goal was like a, a unified empire that included all these different groups. Right. Um, and so that's kind of where he fell on this spectrum. So he goes to Sarajevo. He's not a big fan of Serbians doesn't support the annexation, but he's basically there on ceremonial duties. So to Mm -hmm. take a look at the troops, to do a museum and to have some alone time with his wife, I guess. Yeah. So what I want to talk about next is sort of the background of the other major player here who will be um, the person who ultimately kills Franz Ferdinand and his perspective on the political happenings. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm going to pause. Casey, I think you're going to talk a little bit about the Black Hand and what that was at the time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the Black Hand was the terrorist quote unquote. I mean, we'll call it a terrorist terrorist organization. Um was it like because it was <laughs> I have so many things that I want to say. <laughs> so kind of. <laughs> so um black the black hand was actually real though. So I feel like I have to clarify. Um, so <laughs> it was actually called quote, unification or death. Like, that was the real name of the organization. Okay. Which I thought was super interesting because I've actually never heard that, but it was actually in some sort of like Serbian Hungarian yeah. like translation. And I was like, you know what? Your girl can't say this. Well, I so, think unify or die is a thing. Yes. And so, that's exactly it. So, yeah. they were founded in 1901 uh, by officers in the army of Sarajevo, as well as an earlier conspiracy that was to assassinate the Serbian royal couple in 1903. So, when you were mentioning the assassination mm-hmm. of the king and queen, they actually had a part in that uh so the basic goal or aim of the black hand or of unification or death forming was their ultimate goal of uniting all territories that had a southern slavic majority so basically when we talk about nationalism in this context we're actually looking more so at like what your ethnic background is Mm -hmm. and where you come from in that sense rather than like a nation that you would say like the nation of serbia right okay so like there were some people in serbia who didn't have the same sort of like ethnic identity but the problem is is that in the time frame that we're talking about like people were controlled by empires still and those empires had basically controlled all of these different smaller groups of people so the one specific instance that we're talking about here is like the Black Hands fighting for Serbians specifically. So, their ultimate goal was to promote and liberate like Serbians that were outside of Serbia from any type of Habsburg or Ottoman control. So, that would basically mean the Austrian Hungarians or the Ottomans. So, the organization was led by a dude who had such a cool name. <laughs> it's so <laughs> badass uh, Dragutin Dimitrijevic. So, well I know you'll talk about him, but his code name was Apis. Yeah. I think we said that was the way we, to say it. We
1: decided we will be pronouncing it Apis. Apis. Don't email. Maybe us it's Opus,
0: but I think it's Apis. Don't email me. <laughs> it kind of sounds like ape piss, but like Yeah. Fine. <laughs> um so uh, Opus Apis, Apis. So yeah, okay, so he's a colonel and he basically is calling all of the shots in arming people with like bombs and he's doing a lot of training for like soldiers quote unquote but they're not actually soldiers they're all just members of this organization um and there actually are three symbols that were used for the black hand the first was a bomb the second was a knife and a third was a vial of poison and those were basically like the symbols of the organization and the members were sworn in with these like intense rituals involving blindfolds and blood and like if you joined you were like do or die and i actually read somewhere the actual oath that people would take Mm -hmm. and it was it was heavy it was like seven to eight sentences long i was gonna read it and i was like uh and then i didn't want to put some like i don't know bad vibes out there yeah Yeah, that i'm like (laughs) i just swore my allegiance to a serbian nationalist organization (laughs) i just didn't want to read that out loud um So they operated from Belgrade and they conducted all of these different propaganda campaigns. They established a very detailed network of revolutionary cells throughout Bosnia and within Serbia. Um, And it actually dominated the army and there was a huge influence and membership over the government of Serbia. Mm -hmm. Um, And they did this by terrorizing the government officials. So the other thing I thought was interesting about this, and this is where Gavrilo Princep is going to come in, is he was a part of, the grassroots level of the organization right. so basically what they would do is they would establish these small cells of like three to five members and there was so much secrecy at least in these levels that members really didn't even necessarily know like who else was in the organization outside of their like three to five member cell right. which i thought was pretty cool and also kind of terrifying yeah um Their basic goal, like I said, as an organization was to fight against Austria-Hungary's control over Bosnia because they felt that all Serbians should have total control over themselves. And you said it earlier perfectly. Serbia was like literally gifted to Austria-Hungary and the Serbians were like obviously not in any control of that and so Franz Ferdinand was the target because he was trying to pacify the Serbians, right. which would in turn prevent them from creating this uprising. It reminds so me a little, assassin, and
1: not enough that I have yeah. any sort of like political opinion on like what should have happened with Serbia. I truly don't, mm-hmm. but it, it gives me like Israel Palestine vibes.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah it's it's the it's the same conflict of like land ownership right. and and someone who had, had gifted the right land. To it.
1: And it's like, yeah. well, now who does it belong to? Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely, yeah. So that's the black hand. So they have, uh, I think, at one in one article I was reading, they have membership in like the low thousands. Okay. So Which is like pretty big for yeah. a terrorist nationalist organization. Right.
1: And that's just what we know about. So there could have been even more.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we are talking like high up officials in Serbia, too. Yeah. It's not just like a bunch of randos in Bosnia. Like it's it's literally. And the other thing that the Black Hand did, too, is they worked with groups, like you said, young Bosnia, mm-hmm. in order to accomplish whatever their goals might be.
1: Right. Yeah. So we'll talk a little bit about Gavrilo Princip, who he is the person who ultimately kills Franz Ferdinand and Sophie. Um, But there's a lot of other people involved, but he gives a good kind of background from the other political side of the spectrum. So he is a member of Young Bosnia, and he's actually only 19 when he assassinates Franz Ferdinand. So he's still pretty young. He was born um, one of nine children, but only three of whom lived past it infancy. Yeah. In a rural hamlet, his family had lived in Serbia for generations as poor farmers. They were essentially serfs, something equivalent to that. His family was Serbian Orthodox. um, And that was like a big point of pride for them and something they were very involved in. And they were essentially, they felt oppressed by their Muslim landlords. So at Mm. the time, being Serbian Orthodox was not like the cool thing to do. And so they lived this kind of quiet, poor farmer, destitute life. His father did not want Gavrilo to go to school. He wanted him to just take over the farm. But he did begin attending school at age nine. And he did really well. So he was like a star student. And he actually went to go live with an older brother to attend military school was the plan. But before he got there, his brother was talking to friends. And the friends told him, don't let your brother become an executioner of his own people. So, like, don't let him join a military school and do this. So the brother instead sends him to merchant school. So he's off learning, like, trade skills and things like that. But while he's studying, he's still doing really well. And he begins to idolize this revolutionary who attempted to assassinate officials. So some of the people involved in, like, this black hand. He begins getting really into that and just getting kind of radicalized by it. So he joins young Bosnia. I wrote young Serbia here, but I meant young Bosnia in 1911 um, when he's 16. So the goal there is just to separate Bosnia, to unite it with Serbia. um, Mm -hmm. And it's like a secret society he's basically in. So even though their goals are these revolutionary things, they're talking a lot about literature and politics and ethics and philosophy. And it sounds kind of cool. (laughs)
0: at this time I mean the thing is like these people weren't just like I mean they weren't just like grunts you know what I mean like they actually were intellectuals yeah and I mean I'm sure there were people who just joined to be like swept up in it but because it was so secretive you couldn't just have like Joe Schmo like you know hanging out at like a local tavern like yeah yeah I'm part of the young Bosnia or whatever like exactly you actually had to really understand what their values they were fighting for and then you also had to be able to like get other people involved in it too right so yeah
1: yeah and again like like, I don't know. I don't know enough to be like, I think they were right or the other people were right or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it was clearly something they like really believed in and mm-hmm. devoted their time to trying to make happen. Absolutely. Um. And so he's actually expelled from school for participating in a demonstration mm-hmm. with young Bosnia. And he allegedly was physically threatening other students and things like that. But he gets expelled for being a part of this. And he goes immediately to Serbia. And there's a story that as soon as he gets there, he like falls to his knees and kisses the ground because he's so happy to be there. Hmm. And he does get involved with some some revolutionaries, including members of the Black Hand. And so mm-hmm. that's the, the conspiratorial society uh, you talked a bit about. But he wants to join and he gets rejected. They tell him he's too small. He was like very short and skinny. <laughs> so they say no. And he actually is not having it. He tracks down um, a major who's like one of the high up people in the black hand and tells him Mm -hmm. what happened. And the major is like, no, you're too small. And so he gets a little bit nomadic for a time. Like he's really humiliated. He returns to Bosnia and he kind of spends time going back and forth between the two places, kind of trying to figure out what he wants to do since his little dream was shot down. But he (laughs) actually finally meets somebody during his travels who sees potential in him. And sends him to a training center with a bunch of other young Bosnia members. So he gets trained to, to shoot guns, to create and detonate bombs, to fight with blades. It's like war training center. Basically, yeah,
0: and it's like actual soldiers who are doing this, or yes former soldiers, who are right? Doing former this. soldiers, mm-hmm.
1: and it's not all young Bosnia, but it's a lot of like these underground type people who have different, yeah. And causes. it's like not
0: a bunch of randos; it's like people who really want to see this, and yep. yeah, they have like actual or have held positions of power. Yeah,
1: he gets basically recruited for it as like mm-hmm. you you fit this bill, and so he's in Sarajevo, and during that time, there's a state of emergency declared by Austro-Hungary. And so he's stuck there kind of under martial law, Um, all Serbian cultural, Serbian cultural organizations are prohibited, and shit gets bad. And so he's basically just like this radical 19 year old dude, who's like living his life trying to be a revolutionary in a kind of shitty situation. Mm -hmm. That's where he's at. So how does that mean he ends up killing Franz Ferdinand, is the question. (laughs) And so I alluded to this, but there'd been plans to assassinate a large number of Austro-Hungarian officials for years prior. This had always been sort mm-hmm. of in the conversation. So there was a man named Danilo Ilik. I'm going to say Illick, and he,
0: I think it's Ilik. Yeah. yeah, he
1: was a, a Black Hand leader in Sarajevo. Um, and he saw a speaker at one point who kind of hinted at direct action being the way to end these issues. And he ended up making friends with Apis, who we talked about. So he's in like the in-group of the Black Hand. There's Mm -hmm. no real records ever found of what happens in their meetings or what they discuss. But what people can figure out is they have a meeting, so Illic and Apis, and they're determining what the best targets are for assassination. They do discuss Franz Ferdinand, but they ultimately end up dispatching somebody completely different to kill the governor of Bosnia. So Franz is taken off the list. They're going to go kill this other dude. But the guy, so he's on a train to kill the governor and the police enter to search for a thief. So there's a thief somewhere else on the train and they're going around searching people. And so he panics and throws all his weapons out the window. So everything he had with him, he's just like, nope, never mind, it's gone. So he arrives at the the destination, but he has no weapons. So he has to spend time figuring out how to get them, which delays the planned attack. And so as he's trying to figure out what to do, Illich basically calls him back and is like, look, we're scrapping this mission. Instead, we're going to kill Franz Ferdinand. So he takes too long, basically, and they change their mind about the target. So Illich goes around recruiting a variety of other people for the assassination, um, so one guy is Kubr Novic, and then Popovic are two of the people that get recruited. So their names will come up. Um, and they had actually approached local like guerrilla fighters and said that they were interested in the cause. And so they kind of got mm-hmm. connected through this network. It took a little bit for them to get their shit together. So they had to wait for all the weapons to come in. And then like somebody was sick, so they couldn't go on one of the initial trips. But by May twenty six they had all the weapons they needed, and that included six hand grenades, four pistols, money, cyanide pills, a bunch of training, special maps, knowledge of contacts, a secret tunnel. They were very, like, seemingly, well prepared.
0: Which is so ironic. I know because what I know is coming, and, and like yeah. people who are listening have no idea what the hell is going to happen. But like, it's, it's not well prepared. Like, it seems like foolproof, and then it's just very so
1: fooled. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. And they take basically <laughs> this really long journey, like using all their sketchy contacts and these tunnels to get there. So they're like trading off items and hiding under different names, doing what seems like a pretty good job. So what happens is Princip and then Kapernovic and then another guy named Grebez, they all arrive and they actually spend some time basically covering. So they go visit various family members while they're secretly getting things together for this plot. And then later, Ilik arrives with weapons. Um, a man named Jovanovic helps him like hide them. Again, they're going back and forth through all these like syndicates and networks. During that time, there's at least one instance where the assassination is canceled and then reauthorized. Like, they're, mm-hmm. they're spending a lot of time on this. It was not a fly by the seat of your pants thing. Yeah. So the night before. The I think
0: they said it said somewhere it was like a six month endeavor. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It started at the beginning of the year, I believe.
0: Which, like, I don't know how to plan any type of assassination or like a party no. even. But, like, I feel like six months is maybe a long time, but also maybe it's the right amount of time. <laughs> I don't I, know. I feel like it seems fine. Yeah. But the amount of the prep that you're explaining is, like, kind of crazy. Right.
1: Right. Yeah, they like really thought this through. So the night before the attacks, Ilik begins distributing all the weapons, and that's actually the first day that all all six of the assassins and Ilik and other people involved meet. So, like you were saying before, some of them knew like one of the other people, but all of them didn't come together for a plan until the night before. Right. So, then the next morning, which is, um, is it June 28th or July 28th? I'm fine. June 28th. Uh, June. Yeah. June. June 28th. July, something different.
0: Um, yeah. So June... July, I think, is when they send out the meetup. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: So, June 28th, um, they know that there's a motorcade route. That's going to go through, including Franz Ferdinand and his wife. And this route was actually published beforehand. So
0: that people... Which I saw and I was like, are we kidding me? Right now. Like you're was... literally just asking people to assassinate this guy.
1: Yeah. Like it was planned beforehand. They knew which of the cars he would be in. Actually, the top was left off the car for like visibility because people were excited to see the Archduke. So like the top was off. Very different than how we would do a motorcade now. But the six men are placed along the route in different places. And there's a couple of weird things that happen right before the motorcade starts. So, like, there's a security chief that gets left behind. Like, one car thinks they have him and the other car thinks the other car has him and they just forget him. (laughs) Oh, and (laughs) there there weren't police lining the streets because it was seen as sort of, like, insulting to have the Austro-Hungarian police come in. And line this. Yeah,
0: there was only like half of the force in. Yeah,
1: so there was Sarah, um, the Sarajevo police were there, but it was about 60 men total lining this whole Mm -hmm. um, motorcade. So the plan is that they have these six guys positioned along the motorcade, and all of them are supposed to like make an attempt as Franz Ferdinand goes down it. But he gets to the first area, which is in front of a garden, and one of the men who, uh, Mehmed Basic? (laughs) Basic?
0: that's Basik? That's what I saw, too. Like, I thought the same. Yeah, Mehmed Basik. that's how you say it. Yeah.
1: Um. So he's <laughs> there with a bomb, and he just doesn't throw it. Like, he just chokes and doesn't throw it. <laughs>
0: Sorry. I can't imagine standing in the middle this of a is... crowd of, like, hundreds of people, and you're just holding a bomb, and you're like, I can't do it. But like, then it happens can't.
1: again. So then they pass the next person yeah. along the route, and that person has both a bomb and a pistol, and they just don't do anything. Mm-hmm. So finally, they they get to the third person with his Kavernovich, and he throws his bomb. However, this bomb, it bounces off the street and actually hits the car behind Franz Ferdinand. So it does work. It just explodes on the wrong car. And it's enough that it leaves like a one-foot crater in the road. (sighs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, And 16 to 20 people are injured. From what I could find, nobody actually died as a result of that bomb, but a bunch of people are injured. Right. And as soon as he throws that... Khabernovic takes his cyanide pill and jumps into the river as they're like instructed to do, but the cyanide pill only makes him vomit. It like wasn't enough to kill him. And the water was only 13 centimeters deep because it was a really hot, dry summer. And so he jumps into like half a foot of water.
0: I read that it was an expired cyanide pill, so it didn't have the same potency, which is like the same thing. And like this dude literally just like jumped in a puddle. Yeah, he jumped in a
1: puddle. And so he immediately like he's dragged out and beaten terribly by the crowd. And then the cops arrest him and take him away. (laughs) So once that- How do you mess that up? I don't Uh, know. Yeah. Once that (laughs) happened, the motorcade like very quickly tries to get out of there. And the other three guys along the route- are also, like, listed as having failed to act. I think they're just kind of frenzied by the whole situation. And so they Mm -hmm. don't do anything in that time. So Franz Ferdinand ends up going to the reception he was on the way to. So he, like, goes to make his speech. He's very obviously agitated and upset and is running around like, you know, this is how you greet us with bombs. He's not having it. He still he still has blood on him, but he just like gets up yeah. and gives his speech. Yep. Like I came here to give a speech, whatever.
0: But- I think it's so ironic because like if you think about if that stuff ever happened today, oh. like I was I was reading Michelle Obama's book Becoming and she yeah. talks about what the whole motorcade is like mm-hmm. and they're like the president has like a vial of their blood. And right. like there's like and like everyone just scatters. They don't just keep like trekking on to the same planned route. <laughs> like, yeah, they literally just disperse. Yep. <laughs>
1: Um, And so after he gives his speech, like a nice, nice little consummate professional, they are trying to figure out what to do, right? They're like, do we deploy a bunch of military to, like, figure this out? What do we do? And it's basically decided that the troops don't have any clean uniforms. It's laundry day and it Mm -hmm. would look bad to put them on the street. So they're like, we're never mind. We're just not going to deploy any troops for this. It's like literally literally what happens. (laughs) But Franz Ferdinand and his wife decide that they need to go visit the wounded. It was clearly an assassination attempt on him. They feel bad. So they're going to go visit the wounded, which is nice. They get back in the motorcade. They get into the exact same car, which is like, not smart. Like they're the third car in the line. They get back into the third car and they start going. But there's basically this whole miscommunication and there's a few different ways it's reported. But ultimately, there's a miscommunication between the general who is sending them to the hospital and the driver. And they end up going the wrong way at first. Mm -hmm. And so they take a sharp right turn at one point and basically get stuck in traffic. Right. They're just like stuck there kind of on the road. Yep. And meanwhile, the motorcade's still happening, so the remaining um, assassins are still along the line, and Princip positioned himself to act during a return journey. So he sets up outside of a deli on the road, and the motorcade kind of makes this turn, and the brakes are applied basically right in front of him. Like, Franz Ferdinand cars just stops in front of where Princip is, and so he literally just, like, steps up and shoots them like walks up, puts his feet into the car and he shoots Fran. So first he shoots Sophie in the abdomen and she like immediately falls unconscious. Then he shoots Fran's in the neck. Um, He stays conscious Ugh. by the time the first responders arrive, he's actually like alive and sobbing over Sophie.
0: Oh my God. Um,
1: And they tried, some of his aides tried to undo his coat, but his coat had been sewn in an atypical way. So like one of the outer lapels was sewn to the inside to make him look skinnier it seemed like
0: oh like they were basically wow. like
1: corseting with his coat and they couldn't find... I was
0: gonna say that's what that sounds like yeah, yeah
1: they couldn't find a way to cut it open and so some people say that that prevented them from getting him help quickly enough because if you think about it a lot of the clothing at the time like the coats went up over your neck and had like right. high things so if he was shot in the neck they couldn't get to it and so she dies on the way to the hospital on arrival she's already dead and he dies a few minutes later. Ugh. And his last words are, don't die, darling, live for our children. So it is Ugh. like they did like love each other and that's sad. And what's also kind of screwed up is Princip said he didn't intend to shoot Sophie. He was trying to shoot the governor. It just sort of like happened in the heat of the moment. So she wasn't actually a target. She was just kind of in the wrong place. Ugh. Um and so their bodies are sent back. You know they have a funeral that ends up being just immediate family, like no other nobility is invited. It's not open to the public. The children are young at this time, so they're pretty well hidden away. It's a private affair.
0: And then yeah, because Franz and Sophie aren't that old, right? Like they're no. probably their, like he was born in
1: maybe? well, he was born in the eighteen sixties, and this is nineteen fourteen, so they're like fifty. He's like okay, 50. so they're
0: like in their forties, yeah. maybe fifties. But yeah. the kids are okay. like
1: still all under yeah. Um, and then kind of to add salt to the wound, so they're interred at Artstetten Castle because she could not be interred at the Imperial Crypt because she did not have the title or the rights.
0: If that's not some bullshit. Right, like, so ugh, she
1: can't like be... Like even... royals
0: have no... I just yeah. don't understand. Yeah, no,
1: fuck that. She can't be there, so they, they get buried together somewhere else. It's the same place their stillborn son was buried, etc. Yeah. So in terms of what happens... All of the assassins, so like all six guys, plus a bunch of others involved, end up getting caught. No one really gets away with this. Mm -hmm. So as soon as um, they're taken off to the hospital, rioting breaks out on the streets until the military comes in and is like, calm the fuck down. Um, But there's a bunch of rioting. And then... It leads to a bunch of anti-Serbian violence. They're basically like, well, Serbians killed him. So all of these things start happening. Hate crimes start happening and the police are doing nothing to prevent it. So in this time period, two Serbians are killed and over a thousand houses, shops and institutions were pillaged and razed. So people lose like their schools, their churches, their businesses, all that. And then literally the emperor at the time. So he is Franz's uncle. He was known to, like, not particularly think Franz would be a good emperor. He didn't like the idea Mm. of him as an heir, and he liked the next person in line better. So he literally said, like, what a relief, basically.
0: Oh, my God. He was basically like, oh, cool. Now the better one can be. Like, you're the emperor of Austria-Hungary. Like, can't you just be like, you know what, Franz? I don't really like you. I don't think that you're going to work. None of your kids can be heirs. So we're going to just go with the next guy. Like, why can't you just decide that?
1: Yeah, and, like, I don't think he said
0: that publicly, but it, someone knows about it. Ugh. And that's crazy.
1: So, meanwhile, one of the assassins, uh, our friend Meh- Mehmed Basic, him, he escapes, and he's actually captured elsewhere and, like, extradited to Serbia, basically. But mm-hmm. all the other guys are caught together, along with a, a large number of agents and random peasants who had also helped them along the way. Wait, they're
0: all, like, hanging out together?
1: Well, they're all brought in together, like... They're okay. all brought in and I, like, okay. put together.
0: I was like, don't tell me that these freaking idiots were like hanging out in the bar like, yo, it you see that like shit it. when he died? <laughs> but they like brought
1: them all in and were like, you guys sit in this cell and think about what you've done.
0: Okay. And then like okay. everyone
1: involved in the network, they got a bunch of people in. Um, Most of them were charged with conspiracy to commit high treason. And they chose that because a maximum sentence of death was possible for high treason but Mm. a conspiracy to commit murder did not have a death sentence at the time. So they're tried on that. The trial is in October of 1914, so just a few months later. And during the trial, all of the adult defendants basically say, we weren't willing participants. They all have all sorts of stories about, we were scared, our families were threatened, we were pressured, we were going to be killed. All Mm -hmm. that is what they get on the stand and say. And I say the adult defendants because they could not, charge a minor with death. They had a maximum of 20 years. If you were under the age of 20,
0: that'll be I was just going to ask, what was their minor? So Tw- 20 under 20,
1: that'll become a thing in a few minutes, in like a second.
0: But meanwhile,
1: a lot of the people who were minors got up and deflected the blame because they didn't have fear of a death penalty. They were just like calling other people out and saying what actually happened and that sort of thing.
0: Mm, okay.
1: And there actually was a debate as to princip's age. Um, they had to go back and determine, you know, they didn't have, like, very good birth records. And he was 19 at the time, it was determined. But there was initially some question as to if he was eligible for the death penalty or not. Right. Um. And it ultimately is decided that he is not. He's 19 and therefore a minor.
0: Oh, so you mean that they actually stuck to treating minors like minors?
1: Yes. This. Yep. Wow. Yep. That's Imagine interesting. Imagine that, right?
0: And he was white? I, sh- <laughs> shocking. I have so many things.
1: I mean, real. It's happening
0: in 1914 in Serbia.
1: Come on. And so they (sighs) come down and basically everybody is found guilty to some extent of whatever they're charged with. The court actually determines and says, basically, they don't believe the claims that the official institution of Serbia is blameless. They know Mm -hmm. that it like infiltrated that. And so everybody gets sentenced. Princip gets 20 years, which is the maximum allowed for his age. Yep. Um, The other men, the five other men who were placed along the route get somewhere between 13 to 16 years.
0: Um, 20 years only for killing the Archduke and his wife. That's like nothing. I mean, not that 20 years is nothing, but that's, I mean, what? He would come out not even 40 years old. Exactly.
1: Um, Mm -hmm. And then Illich is executed. And there's nine other people who are sentenced or executed in this initial trial. Wow. Um, There is a separate trial in 1917 in Serbia, and they ultimately executed APIS there and then like a large number of his colleagues.
0: Yeah, that's after um, they do like a whole investigation into the Black Hand and everything.
1: So pretty much everyone involved does get their due for it. Um, Kabrinovich actually expresses the most regret. So he is, first of all, the one on the stand who is hardcore. Like, they said they'd kill my family. I didn't want to do it. Whatever,
0: but he's the one that threw the bomb, right? He's
1: the one that threw the bomb, yeah. And he feels mm-hmm. like really bad about the whole thing, allegedly, to the point where when they were older, friends and um, Sophie's children sent him a letter of forgiveness. Oh, wow! In, like, in communication with him, because um, he felt bad, and a lot of them later said, like, had we known the consequences that this would have, we never would have done it. Like, not right. him dying; they didn't care about that, but like everything that
0: will no, transpire whole... later. <laughs> The two to the three decades of World Wars, exactly.
1: Yeah. Um. So both Cabernovic and Princip die in prison of tuberculosis. So neither of them ever get out after their sentencing. Um. Uh, and so that is the end of Princip and, and the the assassination itself. I think we're gonna go, Casey. I know you have a couple items here on. I guess we'll call it responsibility. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So there's a couple like. I mean, the way that I saw them was sort of like conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. But the more research I did, the more I was like, this was an assassination plan. So technically, that was the conspiracy. Right. Um, so one of the things that came up was whether or not APIS armed young Bosnians to destabilize and overthrow his own government mm-hmm. of Serbia. So one of the associates of APIS, um, Major, oh God, I don't even know why I was going to say his name. No. I'm going to say Major Tankosic or Tankosic uh, claimed this after he was arrested that APIS, quote, did everything he could in May f- 1914 to overthrow the PASIC administration. And PASIC was the, um, oh my gosh, what am I? I'm blanking. Pasek was the prime, prime minister of yeah. Serbia. Mm-hmm. And so this sort of leads to the next question of whether or not APIS actually wanted the conspiracy to succeed. Or was he actually trying to hope that the inexperienced Bosnian, quote unquote, terrorists would fail um, in order to like link Serbia to the attack? And then the Austrians would gain enough international support to remove Pasek because the Black Hand had so strongly infiltrated the serbian government so what's interesting is like pretty much every austrian hungarian report on the black hand from november 1911 through june 1914 emphasized the group's threat to its own government of serbia rather than the threat to austria hungary Hmm. so any intel that was done by the austrian hungarians never was like we should be worried about the black hand it was more like the serbian government should be worried about the black hand um, on top of that, none of the empire's diplomatic correspondence after Franz Ferdinand and Sophie are assassinated included the ultimate, like, including the ultimatum that they sent out to Serbia, basically being like, turn these people over or blank, um, even mention the Black Hand. So the Austrians sort of just automatically like jumped to this conclusion that it was the Serbian government that did it in the first place. And it wasn't even necessarily a terrorist organization or, I mean, again, nationalist organization at this point, we're kind of using the two interchangeably. Yeah. There was so much on this. So it's like, <laughs> again, this could be like its own episode. Um yeah. But basically PASIC was really trying to avoid any kind of war with Austria-Hungary. Because they had just kind of been in wars with, um, I think it was Austria-Hungary, in the Balkan Wars where they were Mm -hmm. fighting over territory, which is where, when we talk about Russia in a little bit, that's going to come into play. And so Serbia really didn't need any other major military conflict. And so this is sort of the reason that APIS organized the assassination, because he felt that the heirs' visit would foil uh, an attack on Serbia. But basically... Apis almost didn't expect the Sarajevo conspiracy to succeed according to this conspiracy theory. They basically he basically thought this was just going to be like an attempt that would fail because it was a bunch of mostly young men who were just sort of like fired up about Serbia and Bosnia. And they really weren't necessarily going to be successful. And it's actually interesting that you just like laid out all of these failed attempts because like if you think about it like the people that they recruited obviously like maybe had a hard time with it so like it was maybe deliberately supposed to fail Hmm. so that was one of the theories um and then like it kind of went into this whole like it was just like bad luck that franz ferdinand actually ended up being assassinated but that's kind of where the that theory lost me because i think that serbia did know that this was going to happen so yeah, like I saw when that we talk too. about when we talk about responsibility like And what's crazy is I can't find anything that says for sure 100% the Serbian government knew, but it's like when you know about how much the black hand actually was involved in the Serbian government, it's kind of hard to not think that they knew. And if they knew, it kind of was like not necessarily like an inside job that the serbian government planned it it was kind of more like the serbian government looked the other way right. as it was happening i literally as made it was a forming. note that
1: was like i think it's a 9-11 situation like the 9-11 mm. conspiracy theory where it's like yeah they kind of knew that was gonna happen and let it happen They knew,
0: but they just yes right yeah. not that
1: they caused it but they allowed it and it, like, reminded yeah. me of those conspiracy theories.
0: Right. And so, apparently, the Prime Minister was, uh, like, informed of, like, men who were being smuggled across the border to kill the um Archduke. But then he basically told Apis to, like, call it off. And so he was, like, Apis decided to just keep going with it anyway. I or, wonder like, if he... that has to do with the, the, like,
1: one confirmed thing where they canceled and then reauthorized it
0: yeah like that's he, what I was thinking. He
1: canceled it for real and then was like, j k. that was like
0: a joke. Yes. Like when you said that on your own, I was like, oh, okay, that's that's where this probably came yeah. from, from like what I found in my research. So that's like sort of asking and answering, but not fully answering. did Serbia know that this was going to happen? Um, the only other thing that I saw in terms of even because, conspiracy actually is just kind of more like history creepypasta or just like weird things that have happened love it Um, so typically whenever we talk about history we always find these like weird stories like there's one i'm thinking of that that's a british a british soldier in world war one almost shot hitler uh, like in a trench. Oh, yeah. But like stopped. I've heard that. But, like, that's it's like, again, it's something that's never been able to be proven. And it's like, how would you know that the German man that you were looking at with the stupid ass mustache was like going to become one of the worst people in all right like, of human history? So, basically, this I like to call the sandwich story. So, Gavrilo Princep apparently is one of the only people that's left after the multitude of people who either bailed or failed in their ascent, um, attempt to assassinate the Archduke. So, He basically goes to buy a sandwich while Franz Ferdinand is giving his speech, and Franz, like, is starting to leave the town hall, and when the heir gets back to his limousine, he decides to change on his plans last minute. He'll call at the hospital to visit the men and women who were injured in the grenade blast, so like you said- but the only problem is the Archduke's chauffeur, who doesn't know anything about Sarajevo or their town, gets lost. And so, supposedly, he swings off of the Apal Key and into this, like, crowded street. Mm-hmm. And then it totally stops. And then he's right in front of the exact same deli that Princep is standing eating his sandwich. And then Princep is like, oh, my God. So, it's kind of like what you were saying. So, apparently, there's no real clear yes that's actually how princeps stumbled upon them which i thought was interesting because i've always heard the sandwich story too like i've always heard that it was just like oh shit he's right there that's the guy i'm supposed to kill like almost like if you've ever seen almost like a not necessarily a comedy sketch but like when you're looking at like a dark comedy and it's like you're looking at the picture and you're looking back up and you're like yeah oh that's the dude i'm supposed to hurt yeah like a double take So yeah so i've i heard the same thing and i've actually taught that too because like that's what gets kids interested although the second you say world wars they're like they're literally I'm their favorite teacher for like a marking period. And then it goes back to being like, this sucks, but you know, it's fine. Um, so the first time that this story actually gets revealed is like 2003. So I didn't, I did this like dig into like Smithsonian magazine who sort of did this like investigative report on it. Apparently this whole like eating a sandwich and then he's like, Oh, okay. Like this is the guy I'm going to kill. Doesn't show up before 2003. Huh? In fact, in all Previous writing, apparently the assassin, like you said, waited outside Schiller's where he was speaking to somebody, but there's no like mention of him ordering a specific sandwich there. It's just more like he's standing outside of this deli. Yeah. So... It's interesting that like I don't really know why the sandwich became a thing, but like in some respects it did. I think it it might have like almost it kind of almost like humanized him. Some of the reports were saying, yeah. Also, was saying that like history happens, and like you like sometimes you could be in the middle of like absolutely nothing, and you're actually in the right place at the right time. And like realistically, like Prince up was standing exactly where he was supposed to be for France Ferdinand to just, like, show up. And, like, that just seems a little too, mm, like, the word they used was outlandish, but it just kind of was more like when things went so wrong that whole day, it just seemed to be, like, too easy. Right. So, basically, the author of this article finds that the first time the story is told is in a specific episode um, called what is it days that shook the world so the author like looked down looked at a copy of the program and it follows princep and um from like how they plot their you know assassination to their deaths in prison and it basically says that Um, guerrilla princep has just eaten a sandwich and is now standing outside schiller's delicatessen when suddenly the archduke's car happens to turn into franz joseph street completely by chance fate has brought the assassin and his target within 10 feet of each other and so it's basically it's like setting it up like whoa what are the odds that this is exactly where would land up so that's the telling of the tale that kind of establishes that this whole weird crazy chance thing happened so There's no mention of any actual eating of a sandwich. Apparently, the assassination is, like, kind of early in the – not early in the morning, but, like, mid-morning. So it would be a little bit early to just be eating a sandwich. And also, people just didn't eat sandwiches back then as much as they do today, which came up in my research, which I thought was, like, a weird thing to be in there. But, (laughs) okay, I guess people weren't, like, super into sandwiches. So the other time before that, which – the author thinks that this sandwich theory came from was this. And this was so off the radar. I straight up was like, I couldn't believe what I was reading. So there was something called 12 fingers. Okay. Okay. And it was a novel. I know like this went so far down that I was like, what am I reading? So it was a Brazilian TV host who wrote this historical novel called 12 finger fingers. And the hero is basically, he's a Brazilian, he's a quote Brazilian contortionist mother. And he has a Brazilian contortionist mother and a fanatically nationalist Serbian father. I would read that. And he's he's blessed with an extra finger on each hand, which makes him super dexterous. And he trains as an assassin and he basically finds himself sucked into one of the most important events in human history. So I couldn't figure out if this was time travel or if he just was like, it was taking place during then. But he basically was like standing next to Gavrilo Princep. And the quote from the book is the guy, the kid's name is Dimitri. I should have said that. So Dimitri okay. is standing next to Princep. And. This is like the quote from the book. So when he arrives at the corner of the quay across from Schiller's market, he bumps into a youth coming out of the market, eating a sandwich. He recognizes him immediately. It's Gavrilo Princep. Feigning surprise, he says, Gavrilo, it's been such a long time. What are you doing here? Gavrilo says, I'm eating a sandwich. And then the kid, Dimitri, says, I can tell that. Don't treat me like a child. And then Gavrilo finishes the sandwich and takes a grimy kerchief from his pocket to wipe his hands. When he opens his coat to pull away the kerchief, Dimitri sees a Browning pistol tucked into the waistband. The two go their separate ways, walking in opposite directions. <laughs> and like, <laughs> that's it. So, like, I felt sort of like cheated because I was yeah. like, this is really crazy. And it was just this like random ass brazilian historical fiction novel that like was translated into english and like it just i don't let you down so yeah i was kind of like hoping that he was actually just like by chance there but he was standing outside of there when he realized that he wasn't directly in front of him but he was close enough to realize that if he was going to take action he could now and i think that was because he had gotten some word of like his intent to travel yeah and so and they were kind of all within the same general area yeah that's what it seemed like like,
1: they didn't do a good job hiding where he was going
0: right and And that was the thing like they all knew like the route. they all knew a lot of this random stuff that like today would be just the most asinine thing for you to like share out especially like in a time of turmoil like people don't even put things out for presidents and royalty now and things are like i mean not that things are chill but like we're not not in the middle of like some serious like World War level tension. You know what I mean. We're just in the middle of like. I mean, America is in the middle of its own situation. Yeah, yeah. But I. So then I guess it's comparable. That would be like if people like just put the root out for like the president or whatever it might be. So, yeah. So those were the only two like quote unquote conspiracy theories. The rest of I what I have is pretty much just like the responsibility of well, not the responsibility of the aftermath. Yeah, like how it started a war. Yeah, on, like, a global scale. Yeah, and
1: because even I read, like, normal people did not really give a shit about this. Like, yeah. unless someone was, like, super into the stuff there. just like, well, that's sad, I guess. But royalty was, like, all shook. All of the mm-hmm. European nobility was freaked out by it, even though, like, no one else really cared.
0: Yep. Yeah. So I think, um, I mean, I'll talk really briefly just about the overarching ideas of this. Because, like, what you're what you'll talk about in a second with, like... The consequences and, like, who moves into what and then who yeah. kind of declares war. Like, a lot of people are like, how the hell did we get from, like, this random dude and his wife being shot to, like, the most catastrophic event that humans had ever experienced up until that time? Yeah. So the thing I like to teach my kids is something called MAIN. M-A-I-N. So that's an acronym for the four main causes of World War One. Oh, So the first, yeah, so the first letter stands for militarism. So in the late 19th century, military competition and power between European nations is, like, at its peak. Every European nation is, like, trying to build the strongest military and navy. Their um, ability to protect themselves is sort of, like, how they judged each other. Mm -hmm. And so it creates this, like, culture of paranoia. So basically, like, You have these, like, powerhouse countries that are – it's like an arms race, basically, similar to what you find in the Cold War with the United States and with the Soviet Union. So Germany specifically is looking to expand its navy, and the British and the Germans are, like, notoriously, like, not friends. Like, they're notoriously – I wouldn't say enemies, but they're not on the great, like, great terms. And so the British government is constantly pouring money into expanding their navy, and the German uh, government is trying to do the same thing. So it's just, like, the whole atmosphere of Europe at this time is, like, super tense and kind of crazy. So, like, it's almost like anyone's ready to go with a standing army literally any given second, which was weird. Like, people today have standing armies, but back then you really didn't. It was kinda like, oh right. shit, we're in war. All right, we're enlisting a bunch of people, you have to go. But now it's like we have, you know, standing militaries of hundreds of thousands of people. So that's the M. So militarism. The second one is alliances. So A. So most people are like, oh, A for assassination. Like, nah, it's actually alliances. So between eighteen seventy and nineteen fourteen, there were two major alliances that formed. Um, and they kind of all get really messy like really fast. So in eighteen eighty two Germany, Austria-Hungary, and Italy formed the Triple Alliance. And then in 1907, France, Britain, and Russia formed their own alliance called the Triple Entente. So basically, Austria-Hungary and Russia are pretty much always over, like, fighting over the Balkan territories. And France and Germany literally have always hated each other. Like, always. Because they've always been fighting over the same bullshit land. So they kind of automatically polarized. And then the British even though they kind of also hate the French were like a lot more aligned with the French. So that's where the alliances came from. But the Alliance system was messy enough that like, if you didn't like you had to comply, like if you, if you were called into war or your Alliance was called into war, you were expected to follow them, which is why it quickly pulls into this like global conflict. Because the next thing I'm going to talk about is imperialism. So imperialism was like the big, competitive sort of arena for a lot of european powers so hopefully people know what imperialism is but basically it's when one nation colonizes and takes over another location for a multitude of reasons most of the time it's just like uh, wealth and like economy and money um so like perfect example would be like the way that africa was carved up and basically just taken by european nations and you know france britain germany like they all just like take land from africa and then they force africans into labor and they force european culture on them and like if you've ever sat back and wondered like why can't african nations get their shit together quote unquote it's because europeans got involved and they just completely destroyed everything so the reason why imperialism is the third cause is because the European colony, uh, the European countries are already like duking it out across the world. And there's a lot of like anger and bitterness that's bringing nations to be more displeased with one another. Um, and they're also interacting with each other in ways that they probably wouldn't have previously. Right. Um, And then also... You have the idea of nationalism. So, nationalism is, like I said, like at the very top of the episode, which was basically people no longer wanted to be controlled by empires. They wanted to have their own independence based on their national identity. So, we're going to see nationalism be a big source of tension in Europe because you have these really smaller groups of people who are like kind of trying to figure out how to govern themselves Mm -hmm. but you also see them like wanting to combine their powers based on their like national identity so that's like literally what the whole assassination was essentially over that's why i can use nationalism and terrorism in this sense in like the same way because it was sort of like the same idea and nationalism also is going to eventually turn into like extreme pride in your country and again i always tell the kids this but like it's not patriotism right it's like it's not like saying like oh i'm proud to be an american it's like saying like i would literally kill anybody who's not an american because americans are the best ever always and i will literally do anything to show that like it's extremism yeah so all of these four factors are happening in europe and like you said most european people didn't really give a shit but the second that he's assassinated and the royals start to panic there is this sort of sense of like holding your breath like there's a period of time that happens immediately afterward that that people are kind of just waiting for the other foot to drop because once you call one group into war you're now going to drag in everyone else who is aligned with that group. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of other shit that's happening just in the context of Europe and actually in the context of the whole world outside of just this, like, weirdly enough, like, quote-unquote, small assassination. Right. What's uh, that's, Which is why it's called The Spark. Yeah. Because it's like there's already a bunch of, like, kindling and, like, we've already doused it in gasoline. We're just waiting for a match. Yep. Yeah, exactly.
1: Okay. So kind of how that leads to a war in like very brief based on that background. So after the assassination, Austro-Hungary and Germany, who are like allies, tell Serbia they need to open an investigation into the murder. And Serbia is like, no, we're good. Thanks, though. And so (laughs) Austro-Hungary goes back and they verify like, hey, Germany, you're going to be on our side and you would be in any fights with us or whatever. And when they get confirmation of that, they issue a formal letter to Serbia reminding them, like, you agreed to the annexation of Bosnia-Herzegovina and to maintain good relations with us, like, we didn't violate any of that. And they lay out a bunch of specific demands. So the demands include things like suppression of all propaganda, removal mm-hmm. of any radicals from the military, dissolution of national organiza- nationalist organizations, the arrests of everybody involved. Um, stopping the shipment of arms across borders things like that
0: um they all literally basically calling into question like everything yes like all four of the main causes exactly
1: (laughs) and they also demand that as part of the investigation austro-hungarian officials are involved so that they're able to be a part of it. And this is known as the July ultimatum because it's sent in July
0: of 1914. It's actually sent on July 23rd, which is your girl's birthday. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, and I ba- tell the kids that, and they literally don't give a shit. They look at me like I'm it's dead. Great. And died, I think it's so. great. It's good.
1: <laughs> um, and basically it's an ultimatum. The threat is if they don't accept all of these terms, they're going to recall the Serbian ambassador and dissolve diplomatic relations. Serbia does the same thing on their side, and they go to Russia, and they're like, hey, Russia, you're with us, right? And Russia says, sure. So they offer a partial acceptance. They say, we'll accept two out of these 10 demands, but not the other eight. And Austro-Hungary is like, no, and they go ahead and break diplomatic relations. So they remove their ambassador as sort of a Mm -hmm. symbol that they're not willing to be friendly anymore. And then the very next day, uh, a group of Serbian like militia type people cross into Austro-Hungarian territory and Mm -hmm. the Austro-Hungarians fire to warn them off. So they just kind of fire some shots, but it gets really overstated to the emperor. Like it gets called a considerable skirmish and he goes ahead and declares war and mobilizes their army. And then the Serbians are like, okay, well, so they mobilize their army and there was a treaty, which it was called the secret treaty of 1892, which I enjoy.
0: Um, I love that. The
1: secret treaty required Russia and France to mobilize as well, once these two armies were mobilized. And so once Russia gets involved, Austro-Hungaria and... Hungaria? You know what I mean. austro Yeah, and, I've
0: li- I can't tell you how many times I've done that when I'm talking about this in school. Yeah.
1: And the Germanic armies, like, fully mobilize. And soon, at that point, all of what was known as the Great Powers had chosen a side and gone to war. So China, Russia, France, the U.K. and the U.S. all eventually get involved and that's how we end up in World War I.
0: Mm -hmm. And all of their colonies get involved, which is how it really becomes like a global conflict because a lot of the time the kids are like, this sounds like a bunch of Europeans fighting. And like, you're right. It is that. But because these Europeans want to control every, you know, part of the damn earth, like that's why all of right. these other places they like rope involved. a bunch of
1: other people into it, and then we're yeah. in it all out. Literally, everybody in the world is fighting.
0: Yeah, exactly. And exactly.
1: I don't know. I assume somebody wins, and then we're good.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then we do it all again twenty years later. Yay. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, that's the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand. Yeah. Uh, I would absolutely say, and I know you're gonna think I'm lying for this, but my grade for you is a B plus.
1: Okay, I'll take borderline
0: it. A. Yeah, well, you did a great job. Oh, this thank was you. excellent. Oh, thank you. You taught me shit I didn't even know. There we
1: go. I learned a lot yeah. of things.
0: I don't want to give you the A because then it's no, like fair. you get complacent, but like. <laughs> That's, no, that's, that's pretty fair. much what I took kids.
1: A, a B plus is fair. I actually, for some reason, I was on FaceTime with a friend from college yesterday and we like opened up our college transcripts for some reason and we're like comparing and I counted and I was a solid B plus student. That was my most common yeah. grade. So
0: yeah, so that absolutely. Right. You yeah, know, this was great. Like, seriously, I'm not even kidding. There was stuff that I was like, oh shit, really? Like, there's like a couple things I wrote down on like a little post. <laughs> I like, tell you kids. Like, yeah, no, straight up, I'm not kidding. I'm like, gotta add this to the uh PowerPoint <laughs> because you know they always like this kind of dark, crazy Right. Weird yeah. Shit. You're
1: like, ooh, an assassination. Okay. Tell me about yeah, that. Yeah, and
0: now the only problem is now I feel bad about like the sandwich lie that I've been telling kids. What? So like I have to do this like thing where I have to decide is it more important to just embellish and keep them interested? Right. Or do I like, just like have to tell them? Does the him truth? eating
1: a sandwich change any of the like historical consequences
0: right does it just add like a little bit of like sandwich magic to right. history like, ooh, what kind of sandwich although like i have to say the second we said sandwiches i was like mm, yeah that sounds really good oh, i haven't sure. had a sandwich in a really long time so i'm probably gonna go make myself a sandwich Fair. now
1: i'm gonna eat leftover chinese food but you do you
0: oh good call mm-hmm. yes yep. what kind of chinese food now i want to um, know
1: so i have kung pao chicken and okay. fried dumplings
0: golden yep how's the chinese food down there
1: pretty good so i've actually i moved a couple months ago and i've been very happy with the dumpling selection near me um because a lot of the dumplings here have really thin breading or dough
0: yeah and and then it falls apart right and
1: i'm not about that i want it Mm -hmm. to be like half dough half meat and so i found a place that does that near my new apartment so i've been very satisfied
0: nice all right i'm probably gonna convince eric to get chinese food tonight for dinner
1: great yeah cool you're welcome
0: all right folks thanks for listening we'll uh talk to you next week
1: okay yeah thanks everybody bye Bye.
0: thank you for listening to what the history
1: podcast you can find us on instagram and twitter at wt history pod you're also welcome to email us at what the history podcast at gmail.com with topic suggestions or questions please subscribe to the podcast so that upcoming episodes show up in your feed and we will talk to you soon